0: Hello, this is Eric Bryant, pastor at Gateway Church in South Austin. If you want more resources, including the notes from this message, go to ericbryant.org. Or to find out more about our community, go to gatewaychurch.com slash south. Well, that song is talking about what each of us longs for. But how can we actually get there? In the next four weeks, starting today, we're talking about you belong here. Whatever your cultural or religious background, whatever you've done or failed to do, you belong here. It's what God wants. It's what we all want. It's, it's ideal community, a place where we are fully known, fully accepted, fully loved, a place where we can encourage each other in God's ways. There's no fear of rejection. We support each other as we risk, as we try, as we grow. And you're never alone through the highs and through the lows. You have your community, your people, celebrating each other's victories. And in the fight of life, we've got each other's back. A community of great friends who laugh a lot and play and enjoy life together, people who grow together to be all God intended. We all want that, I'm convinced. But there are a lot of people in Austin that feel the opposite. Feel alone, isolated, unknown, unloved, stuck, uncared for. And maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe you don't feel like you belong, maybe anywhere. Maybe you felt unwelcome in other places, maybe even other churches. Maybe you have started feeling this way even in the last couple of years. Well, remarkably, what God is doing among us And what this community has done for me is you've made a big city like Austin feel like a small town. And we can do that for each other. We can do that for the world around us. And so this week, I'm going to talk about what this looks like, this ideal community. And then next week, we'll talk about why it's so hard to pull off. But God created us for a relationship with himself and with others, But often we find ourselves isolated from God and we keep wounding and warring with each other, then moving further and further away into isolation to protect ourselves from being hurt more. And we build a wall around our heart to protect us from getting hurt. And in doing so, we've imprisoned ourselves from the very people who can bring us healing. God has a restoration plan for all of us, but it involves even the places where we've been hurt. I heard this great story this week. A 10-year-old boy who was tragically in a car accident, had lost his left arm, signed up for judo lessons, and he started going to judo, and his sensei taught him one move. And for weeks upon weeks, he was getting fit, he was getting stronger, but he only knew one judo move, and so he went to his sensei and said, shouldn't I be learning more of these moves? And the sensei said, no, this is the only move you know, and this is the only move you'll need to know. Well, he trusted his sensei, continued to train, and eventually he went to a tournament, and he easily won his first two matches. He gets to the third. It was a little more difficult for him, but eventually he was charged by the other, and he won. Finally, he was in the finals, and in the battle. This kid was bigger than him, stronger than him, more experienced than him, and he was having a lot of trouble. In fact, the referee called timeout, wanting to end the match, even telling the sensei, I don't want your student to get hurt. And he said, no, no, he's okay. Keep going. And eventually, the bigger boy was so frustrated, he made a mistake, and then the young 10-year-old made his one move and won, the champion of his first tournament. He was so excited and in the car ride on the way back after the excitement died down, he asked his sensei, now, how did I win the championship with only one move? And his sensei told him, you won for two reasons. First, you've mastered one of the most difficult throws in judo. And second, the only known defense for that move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. And see, what we're talking about in this series, and even specifically today, is how God wants to take the wounds that you've experienced and turn it into a judo move, so that the most painful moments can actually be those moments that God can bring healing, and through that, help you become a healer. See, we've all been wounded by our families, by friends, by strangers, and maybe even by the experiences of people who claim to have faith. And in the midst of that, we end up denying the hurt and the pain and the anger and the shame, hoping it will go away, but it doesn't until we seek God's healing. And as a result, we do the same to others. We wound them. So we're going to learn how to master one move, how to truly love like God loves God is creating a new family, and that's how he overcomes the isolating, alienating effects of sin and evil, this new, willing family. It's what Jesus came to do. John chapter one, listen to this passage. Jesus came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. See, faith, trust in God is all we need to be adopted into this new family, a willingness. You see, love cannot be forced, and so God creates the space for you and I to decide, do we want to be adopted? Are we willing to ask for forgiveness, to enter into this new family? And when we do, when we say yes, he actually can begin to grow us to become more like who he's created us to be, to become more like him, our heavenly father. But unfortunately, we've learned from our families, many of us, how to do life and it was not always in line with God's ideal. A little Billy was allowed to sit in his father's chair at the dinner table one evening when his father was not there and his slightly older sister was incredibly annoyed at this arrangement. So she sneered, so you're the father tonight. All right. How much is two times seven? Without hesitating, he said, I'm busy. Ask your mother. <laughs> He'd heard his father say that a thousand times, right? But families can be difficult. Difficult. Like George Burns used to say, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. (laughs) See, God's plan was that our families model for us God's ideal community. And for some of us, perhaps we've had that experience. But for others of us, it's one of the very things that wounded us. And if you think that you've come into this unscarred, You think your family or upbringing was perfect and you have no wounds that need healing, then ask your roommates or the people you live with, your family, and they'll tell you the truth. But God's new family is not like any family. God is creating and building a new, diverse family out of every race and ethnicity and culture among humanity. And he's bringing together what the evils of this world keep trying to drive apart. Did you know that the very first church was born multicultural. Did you know that the scriptures, the Bible, is the only sacred text of any world religion that's not regional? It's the only sacred text that uses the phrase for all nations or all tribes or all peoples, and it uses that phrase over 500 times. Now, when I was growing up in the suburbs of Dallas, anyone from Dallas? By the way, this is the sign for Dallas. Dallas. Is that right? I learned that today. Uh, Maybe I did it right. I think I did. Uh, But I grew up in the suburbs of Dallas, and you could hear, we're not that proud of it, some of us that were from there. Uh, And there are certain things I'm grateful for, for sure. But I grew up in a very segregated time. It, It was the 80s, and certainly some progress had been made from the 60s and the civil rights movement, but almost everyone in my school, almost everyone in my neighborhood, almost everyone at my church was the same white middle class now things changed for me when i went to college and i started working as a youth pastor i was in a neighborhood that was mostly african american and latino but the church was an older traditional white baptist church and i guess i should not have been so naive or should not have been surprised but as we began to connect with some of these kids from the neighborhood and bring them into the church building I was devastated with the resistance from these older people who were so sweet to me. Then when I moved to Seattle, my wife and I helped plant a church, and and though the leadership was all white, middle class, the church was almost half from different nationalities, different backgrounds. And then I moved to Los Angeles, lived there for almost 13 years. In our neighborhood, in our kids' school, and in our church, we were the minority. In fact... It was such a different experience and such a beautiful experience. At one point, years into our experience there at Mosaic, I was eventually asked to be one of the elders, one of the overseers, and I was the only white guy. So they would talk about me as the token white guy that was part of the leadership (laughs) at the church. But in the midst of this journey, I wrote a book about this transformation in in my experience of, of being a part of of a church that certainly had some good things to it, but it felt so different than what I would read in the scriptures. And so I wrote this book. It's called Not Like Me, Learning to Love, Serve, and Influence Our Divided World. And many of our life groups will be reading through it as part of their experience this month. And if you're new here, if you fill out a Connect card, take it to the Connect spot, we'll give you a gift, and that gift includes a copy of my book. Now, you can get it far cheaper. It's discounted here, but you can get it for even cheaper on Kindle But I I bring it up because I want you to know that I I wrote this book in part to challenge people of faith to become more like what I see in the scriptures the church should be, rather than the angry, hypocritical, judgmental version of churchianity that had actually turned away many of my friends and family. Now, since we're talking about being authentic and vulnerable, I want to tell you something as a kid that you're going to mock me for. But when I was a child, I I became aware that I was born the day after Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the day before Andy Kaufman. Now, if you don't know Andy Kaufman, he was portrayed in a movie by Jim Carrey, who also shares that same birthday, both comedians. And here's the part where you'll mock me. I grew up with a desire to become a combination of Dr. King and Andy Kaufman. Now, I wasn't exactly sure what that would look like, but I just knew I wanted to stand up for what's right and bring people together through laughter. Now eventually, in writing this book, the original version came out in 2007. I I, I caught a glimpse of fulfilling my calling. See, I, I tell some pretty ridiculous stories that I hope will make you laugh, but ultimately the book and my calling is to advocate for the rights of those who do not yet believe. It's a call of people, to, people of faith to embrace people with whom you differ or disagree in order to help them find the love that you've found in Jesus. Because for far too long, that is not what the church has been about. So, so what is this church like in the scriptures? There's this amazing moment where Jesus had reappeared. He had come back to life. He had resurrected from the dead after being crucified, and his disciples were ecstatic and excited, and they were ready to move forward this message, this mission, this kingdom. But they had this unusual experience. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 1. After Jesus is suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing, convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. I mean, if you can only imagine, their Messiah was alive and he had told them to go and tell the nations and now he's giving them one of their first commands after seeing him alive is wait. Stay right here. See, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He wanted them to wait until a holiday called Pentecost, a celebration where God followers from across the nations, speaking in many language, would come to Jerusalem. And listen to what happened, Acts chapter 2. All of the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Such a remarkable miracle. You travel all the way to Jerusalem and suddenly you're seeing these guys from Galilee, these uneducated fishermen, speaking in your language. It was so shocking that there were rumors being spread that these guys must be drunk. And they're like, Yeah, but it's only 9 a.m. Even fishermen don't usually get drunk that early. They were able to speak in the languages of all the people from all the nations who had come, God-fearers who were hearing the message from Peter, who stood up and spoke and said, Jesus is Lord. He is Yahweh, He is the Messiah. And it says that that day, 3,000 men came to follow after Jesus. And these men and the women and the children who also said yes to Jesus came from all the nations of the world. The church was born multicultural. It was made up of men and women, slave and free, male and female, from different socioeconomic places, different political spaces different backgrounds. And so the early church was far more diverse than what the American church has historically been. But listen to what happens. Paul, who was planting these little churches in all these different cities, began to describe this was the norm, he says in Galatians 3. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we'll talk more about the diverse community that God is calling us to be in week 3 which is important to hear God's heart in this divided world but when God was calling me and my wife back to Texas from the west coast after 17 years i'm so grateful that he called us to austin and to gateway because this is a place that resonates with our hearts a place that creates space for those who've been oppressed by the religious those who have not felt welcomed in other places, a place where you can invite people and say to them and even mean you can come as you are, a place where I can invite my friends and know you will love them and care for them because you loved and cared for me and my family. And it's exciting to be a part of a church like Gateway in a city like Austin. In our three campuses in Austin, there are 65 nations represented different ethnic backgrounds, different races, different political persuasions, diverse socioeconomic backgrounds, different places spiritually, yet an amazing community of love. That's what we're becoming. That's what God wants to do in us and through us. And this is why, if you think of Sunday mornings as like the Sermon on the Mount, this is where people come in varying places in their spiritual journey. And the Sermon on the Mount is when Jesus would teach out in the field, to people who were not allowed in the synagogue. And the crowd was filled with disciples, but also people who were searching and unsure and skeptical and known as sinners. But if you think of this as the Sermon on the Mount, then you'll understand why we're always saying, if you want to get connected, the best way to do so is to serve others with others, to get connected to one of our networks. We have networks that serve together on Sundays. We have networks that serve together in the city. And when you're ready for spiritual growth, intentional time in the scriptures, a life group is your next step. See, ideal community happens in the context of just a few, and it can be transformative, and it can be life-giving. So let's talk about this ideal community that God wants. So you can ask yourself, as we're in our time together, am I helping create the ideal community that God wants? Because here's a hard truth. If we're not part of the solution, then we're probably part of the problem. But today is about how we can become part of the solution. This is what an ideal community looks like in God's view. The scriptures say it's a loving and accepting community. Look at Romans 15. My God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. See, imagine having a network or group of people who love you and accept you as you are. That's how God accepts us in Christ, as we are. See, that's what the scriptures tell us grace is all about. Grace is this undeserved love that he pours out on us. See, we have all sinned, we've all rebelled, we've all gone our own way, done things that are destructive. And yet, God still loves us. He loved us so much that he came and walked among us and he paid a a debt he did not owe for those of us who did. To clear our account, all we have to do is say, God, forgive me, I want what you did to count for me, what you did on the cross to count for me. Romans 5.8 says it this way. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So why is it we readily receive this kind of love and acceptance from God and struggle to extend it to others? God wants to teach us to treat others like he treats us, to show his grace, giving acceptance and love to one another. But how do we actually do that I mean, have you ever actually spent time with people? Because people can be incredibly difficult. See, when we respond out of our wounds and out of our fears and discomforts, we actually become part of the problem. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, one of our favorite passages we often reference says this. God saved you. He set you right with himself by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I want you to catch a few things from this passage. First of all, God created you on purpose and for a purpose. He has good things planned for you to do and to accomplish But in order to even find your purpose, you have to say yes to following him. But right in the middle of this passage is this fascinating word, masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. It's actually a Greek word, poema, like poem. That God is writing a story with your life that is unique to you. And where that story goes is dependent on your willingness to follow him and what he desires for you. But it also changes how we should view each other. Now, around here, we reference this idea of the mud and the masterpiece. John Burke shared this illustration a long time ago. And if you haven't heard it, 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 you'll hear it again if you come long enough. It's such a beautiful description of how we should treat each other. You see, if you were to find a Rembrandt, a painting... By the master, Rembrandt. And it was next to the dumpster and covered in mud. But you could tell it was the Rembrandts painting the prodigal son. Would you pick it up and just toss it in the dumpster it was leaning against? Or would you see past the mud and the muck and take it to a master that he might clean it, restore it, to become what it was intentionally created to be? See, when you and I come across somebody, oftentimes we are fully aware of their mud and muck. And it's harder to see the masterpiece. But you are surrounded with God's masterpieces in this space, in your neighborhood, where you work, all across the city, even driving on Mopac. (laughs) And if we were to see people and value them the way that God does, if we were to come on Sundays or serve together with others or connect in community and when they start to bother you and they will, do you see the masterpiece beneath the mud and the muck. What do you focus on? Because see, when you see the masterpiece, you assume the best in others, which is what we want others to do for us. We want others to treat us with kindness and grace and, and that's what others want from us. But to create this kind of community, it takes all of us deciding to move toward each other, taking the risk to accept and love one another like God, especially even if they're different than you are. Will you let God help you and grow you to create that kind of community? Because we're either helping create that kind of community or we're undermining it. Even by our refusal to get involved and to take the risk, we work against what God wants to do in and through us. And so we've tried to make it easy here at the beginning of the new year. We have network dinners happening all across the city. Some are happening on campus today. If you have a heart for serving the homeless, we're gathering together for lunch. If you have a heart for reconciliation and justice, we're having a network lunch today right after the service. Or if you live out in Lakeway, they're getting together around 1240, or out in Bastrop, or if you're an artist, there are several. You can just go to gatewaychurch.com south to find new networks to jump into or new life groups that you can connect with or you can go right out to the connect spot and they'll point you in the right direction. Are you willing to step into community, which leads to the next description of an ideal community? It's authentic, an authentic community. We take the risk to let others know us, even in a world where hurt people hurt people who hurt people. But what if we became the people who stopped the cycle of wounding? What if we became the people who stopped the cycle in our families, finding healing and bringing healing to everyone in the generations after us and every relationship after us that instead of continuing the same old story of hurt people, hurting people, what if we allowed God to heal us and bring that healing to others around us? I mean, that's why we say at Gateway, no perfect people allowed. We're trying to lower your expectations of us, first of all. But second of all, when you pretend to be perfect, when you pretend like you have it all together, you put on a front, you hide what you consider most undesirable traits or struggles or past wounds, you actually stay static, stagnant. You don't grow. And unknowingly, we're adding to the problem. See, ideally, we're open and honest with where we're at. We're authentic. God accepts us as we are, and we accept others as they are. Listen to what it says in James 5. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When we're honest with each other, And not trying to fix each other, we actually can experience healing. Look at it again. Confess so that you may be healed. All the fears and wounds of families and racism and trauma can get healed as we do this. In recovery, we have an open share group every Wednesday night. And in that group, If you're unfamiliar, you you can actually go through the 12 steps. But for those of us who've gone through it, myself included, you'll discover that step four is taking a moral inventory of all your wrongs, and then step five is confessing them to God and to one other trusted person. I've gone through that experience myself, and I've sat with guys, and in the midst of that, I've had so many say after sharing, and I just sit there listening. And after me sharing and having my sponsor listen, a weight was lifted. It it was like I was carrying around something I didn't have to carry around. And the way they loved me, the way that we love each other in the midst of that, knowing they're going through stuff just like I'm going through stuff, can bring healing. See, the recovery community has rediscovered this truth from the scriptures. God heals us through authentic, confessing community. And some of us in the back of our mind we think we have this secret sin, the secret struggle, the secret fear that if we were ever to let out, that then surely they would not accept me. And so you're stuck there. But if you step out and, and develop an authentic relationship and you confess, you will be amazed at how loved you are. And you can get past that trap in your mind. That question, will they really love me if they just knew this? Listen to what Hebrews says, chapter 13. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? We go out taking risk, knowing that God is with us. And as we stick together, as we create this kind of experience for each other, there's no reason to fear, even when you're struggling or wounded, because we don't leave our wounded behind There's no fear in the family of God. A little later in Romans, it says, "Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment. "'We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak "'and not to please ourselves. "'Perhaps it was because the church of your childhood "'did not live up to this "'that you've been stalled in your faith.'" You see, rather than accepting those who are weak without passing judgment, rather than bearing with the failings of the weak We do seek to please ourselves. We try to make ourselves look better by judging others. This is completely counter to God's ways. God's ideal is also a growing community. Now, we've always said, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Instead, grow. See, none of us in this room have fully arrived. We all have room to grow. We're all works of art in progress. And so it's important to understand how we grow spiritually. Listen to this insight from 1 Corinthians 3. Paul writes to his church plant in Corinth, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers." Now, it's important to understand, see, we cannot change anyone other than baby's diapers. We cannot change anyone. God alone grows people, and we cannot even change ourselves. We need God's help. We need to intercede on behalf of others that they would ask for God's help. But we are God's coworkers, and our job is to create the right kind of soil the planting, the watering, the tilling, the right environment. That's why coming on Sundays is so important. That's why serving others with others is so important. That's why spending time in the scriptures and in prayer on your own throughout the week is so important. It's creating the kind of soil that can help us grow. What we can do is create this kind of soil. Listen to what Jesus describes this as, John 15. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. See, as we stay connected to him, as we stay connected to community, a confessional, authentic, vulnerable community, as we pray for each other, reminding each other to trust God more, we actually make progress. Have you ever actually planted uh, like a plant or a tree or a flower? I mean, really, all you can do is just stick it in the dirt, water it, put it in the sun, and and pray it grows. You can't make it grow, you can't yell at it to grow, it just grows. And some of us are straining, we're trying to bear fruit of the spirit. It's like, oh, I need more peace. And it doesn't work that way. I think I strained a blood vessel. But instead, creating the right environment, being the right environment, trusting, connecting with God and with others, we grow. It's a natural part of the process. Listen to Galatians 6. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Perhaps you've been burned in the past and you shared a struggle and you were judged Rather than treated gently, they didn't carry your burden. They shared your burden with everybody who you did not want to know. See, the way to create authentic, loving, caring community is to be that for each other and to step out and take a risk. God causes the growth. And as He grows us, we grow into a caring, serving community. Listen to Romans 12. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. See, as we look at the scriptures and see all the one another statements, we realize that we actually are never alone when we exercise and live out God's ways We're never celebrating on our own because we're celebrating with others. We never have to mourn alone because others are mourning with us. And you can't do this for everybody. That's why it's so important to connect to a few, honoring each other, encouraging each other, blessing each other. And that's why I love this church family. As I said, you've helped this big, fast-growing city feel like a small town. You've been there for me. And when I invite neighbors or friends and they come, you've been there for them. And there's always room for one more who's struggling, who's lonely, who's uncertain that God loves them or even hears them or even exists. So here's the catch. You cannot grow to become who God created you to be without actually serving others. See, if you need a friend, then be a friend to others. Maybe just give up one night of Netflix to get to know your neighbors and serve them. Give up one meal a week as a chance to get to know a coworker and serve them. Give up two hours of your week to get to know others in this church family and serve them. See, Jesus said if you lose your life in serving others, that's how you will find your life. Now, think about it. If you had 10 people that, are part of a life group, and they all came to have their needs met, how many people's needs would be met through that group? None. But if all 10 said, I have needs, but I'm gonna look for someone else that has a need tonight, and I'm gonna serve them, if they all 10 came to meet the needs of others, how many people's needs would be met that night? All of them. And there'd be room for more. See, what if every Sunday you came asking God, God, would you speak to me today, and would you show me who I can serve? What if every week we came, God, show me what you have for me and show me what you want from me. We'll be amazed at what God can do in and through our lives. See, some of us will find freedom from anxiety and from loneliness, not by focusing more within, but by focusing on meeting the needs of others. We're so caught up in thinking about ourselves that we're missing the path to peace, which we can find in community, a loving, accepting community, an authentic community, a growing community, and a caring and serving community, because ideal community is where we're headed. I'm going to read the last verse. It's from Romans chapter 7, a picture of eternity in heaven. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before Jesus the Lamb. This is a glimpse of what's to come. And I want to invite you into these last minutes together. And music is a beautiful thing because it can help us transcend our distractions. And singing to God can actually reorient our focus away from ourselves. And so I want to invite you during this last song to really connect your heart to God, really even open your mind and heart and ask him, God, what can I do to create your ideal community in my home, in my place where I work, in my neighborhood, as part of my church family. And it might, he might lead you to confess some things that you know you've not done well. It's an opportunity to reconnect your heart, to experience his grace and forgiveness so you can extend that grace and forgiveness to others. But also during the song, it could be singing these words out as your prayer, that we might be healed And healers. So I want to invite you to take advantage of this moment. Let's stand together. Because as we stand, we're also catching a glimpse of what it's going to be like in eternity with people from different backgrounds created in the image of God, a masterpiece, singing out to the Creator, to the One who made us, who loves us but gave everything for us. So as we enter in this time, let's connect our hearts to him.